Today in part four, we get to answer questions about heaven and hell. Woo-hoo. Uh, so we'll just lighten the mood a little bit uh, and uh, take it easy the rest of the way, right? Uh, these are some of life's biggest questions. Some of the most important questions that, that any of us wrestle with or, or our unsaved friends wrestle with. Oftentimes, atheists will have a serious questions about the character of God because of the reality of hell. How can you believe in a God that would send people to hell? So we got some big questions today. As always, if you have a question about anything, but specifically about this topic, we encourage you to text it in during service. Dwindle will be selecting a question at the end of both services today uh, to, to put out there. So if you've got one about heaven and hell that we don't address, feel free to text that in. Um, the number will be on the screen throughout the service. Uh, it's 662-404-2489. Um, as always, real quickly, uh, three, three principles. When we handle these questions, number one, when the Bible speaks clearly, I will speak clearly, and there's some today that the Bible does speak very clearly about. Uh, in fact, I think this will be the heaviest biblical message, at least that we've had so far in this series. There's a lot of Bible we're going to cover today uh, in hopefully a, a short amount of time. Secondly, when the Bible gives a principle, we will seek to apply that principle. So it may not speak directly to a situation, but there are biblical principles that we can apply. Thirdly, when the Bible is silent, uh, as it is on some things, and I'll give you my opinion, I will make sure that you know it is my opinion. So with that being said, let's get to the questions. Uh, the first one texted in was this, said, I am asking a question for myself. So it's not asking for a friend, it's asking for self. Uh, because I've heard conflicting things over the years. Do pets and animals go to heaven? We're going to start with a fun one because it's going to get a lot less fun. Um, do pets and animals go to heaven? Let's, let's do this just for fun. Uh, show of hands, how many think pets and animals go to heaven? All right, hands down. How many think pets and animals do not go to heaven? It's, that's about as 50-50 as I have ever seen a poll question. But what's really interesting is the ones who answered yes answered like this, and the ones that answered no were right here. Uh, like there was confidence in the no's, and the yes was like, I hope so. Like I want it to be that. Uh, so do pets and animals go to heaven? Very clearly the answer is Maybe. Uh, here's what we know. First of all, to answer this question, we actually have to answer another question. The question is this, what is heaven? We think we know what heaven is, but a lot of times we don't know what heaven is. Heaven ultimately is this. Heaven is the place where God is and God fully reigns. Why do we need to define it as that? Because the place that is heaven right now is not the place that is heaven forever uh, and is not the place where you will spend most of eternity. Uh, so what makes something heaven? It makes it heaven because God's there and his presence is fully there and he rules and reigns. In other words, his will is executed completely and fully in heaven. So there is a place right now that is heaven where God lives, his presence dwells, where your loved ones who have gone before you into death who knew Jesus, they are around the throne, they are in heaven, they are experiencing God's best, right? This isn't like partial heaven, this isn't uh, like miniature heaven, uh, it, it, it is ultimately heaven. They are in God's presence, and so they're experiencing the best they can ever experience. However, that place where they are, the Bible teaches us, will actually be destroyed, and there will be a new heaven 
and a new earth, and eventually that new heaven will come down to the new earth, and the new earth will be the new heaven. Did I blow your mind yet? Uh, so, so ultimately, the place where you and I will spend most of eternity is here, except it's not here. It's the new earth. It's the restored earth that lives up to God's original design, where Jesus will live with us and will rule and reign right here. What it makes it heaven? Because Jesus will be here. But it wasn't heaven 2,000 years ago when Jesus came, because even though Jesus was here, his will was not fully executed here. There was still brokenness. There was still sin. There was still lots of stuff that happened. So, so it wasn't heaven because Jesus was here. It's not heaven now, even though the Holy Spirit is here, because God's will is not fully being done. It's fully done in heaven. It's not fully done on earth. Does that make sense? So that's what makes it heaven is God is there. Why does that matter for this fun little light question about animals? Well, uh, let me read you a passage from Isaiah chapter 11 talking about eternity. Uh, it says this. It says, one day the wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. Shout out, Carolyn. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The little child is Jesus. He won't be a little child, but he was formerly a little child. Uh, seven, the cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the seas. So everybody's going to know who God is, not just partially, but fully. There will be full and total revelation of him as his will is enacted. Now, the danger here is a lot of times when Scripture talks about eternity, it speaks in symbolic terms, right? For instance, the Bible says that sheep go to heaven, goats go to hell. That's symbolic, right? Carolyn's goats aren't going to hell. Uh, don't have to worry about that. Uh, that, that, that's a symbol. What is a symbol? The symbol is the, the sheep are people who choose Jesus, and the goats are the people who don't. So it's not literally saying heaven is full of sheep and hell is full of goats. Uh, we know that that's a symbolic term. But in Isaiah, there's some symbolism here. It talks about the child, the child symbolizing Jesus. But generally, I don't think those, all these other animals being expressed represent symbols. Uh, because we use, it talks about things like cobras and vipers. And in scriptural terms, and when those, when snakes are represented symbolically, they represent very dark, very evil forces. There's not going to be dark and evil forces in heaven. And so if it says that the cobra and the viper are going to be there, I think that means there's actually going to be cobras and vipers there. Uh, and some of you are like, nope, I'm not going to heaven. Uh, so I'm good. Uh, trust me, your other option is much, much worse. Uh, these are cobras and vipers that will not strike, that will not bite you. I think the Bible is actually really clear there's going to be animals in heaven. Uh, more importantly than that, I think we can very reasonably infer that there will be animals in heaven because what is ultimate heaven? It's earth. The earth that God created, without the destruction, without the brokenness, without the failure, what is one of the most important things God did? He put creatures on earth. Uh, I don't think we're going to live on a new earth that's animal-free. Uh, now, it might be mosquito-free in Jesus' name, but not animal-free, right? Uh, how does that work with animals not eating each other and yet surviving? Well, God's got a different plan in store for how those will operate. Uh, we know that there was no death in the Garden of Eden. And yet there were animals there. Uh, and so I believe that, that there will absolutely be animals. So what about my pet? What about Spot? 
right? What, what about this, this creature that I loved with all my heart that passed away? Uh, will my pet be in heaven? The answer there, again, is maybe. The, the reason why many of you raise your hand for no is for a long time, churches taught pets will not go to heaven. Why? Because pets don't have a spirit. They're not eternal beings. Uh, and I think that is accurate. Your pet is not an eternal being. Uh, your pet is not going to stand before the judgment throne of God and answer for, you know, what they did. L- last night we were at some friends' houses and they got two dogs and my three-year-old thinks that one of their dogs is good and one of their dogs is bad. The good dog's not going to heaven and the bad one's going to hell, okay? Uh, that, that's not how it's going to work for pets. Uh, pets aren't going to stand before the judgment seat. Will they be with us in eternity or not? If I had to Put all my chips in on one side. Gambling analogy, we'll get to that later in the series maybe if you want to text in a question about that. Um, If I had to bet, I would say there probably will be some pets in heaven. Not because the pet earned its way into heaven because it was the greatest pet, but because God loves his people and wants you to have the things that you desire and celebrate in eternity. Now, I could be totally wrong. Here's what I wouldn't do. As you're flushing little Fluffy, the goldfish, down the toilet saying goodbye, I wouldn't promise your child, Fluffy's going to be in heaven, Uh, because we don't know that. I I wouldn't make promises to my kids when they say goodbye to a pet that, hey, you're going to see your pet again. Uh, We don't know. And and there is very, a very great possibility some of them won't be there. Perhaps most of them won't be there. Perhaps none of them will be. But I do think there will be animals in heaven. I'm pretty confident on that. So, so the answer here is we know animals will be in heaven, which is the new earth. Uh, there's no promise that your pets will be in heaven, but there's no promise that they won't be either. So a little bit of a cop-out answer, but that's the reality. But my opinion is I'm going to say yes. Uh, probably they will be there, at least some of them. So we'll see. Stay tuned, right? Uh, question two. If God says it's not good for man to be alone, and he gives us the gift of marriage, do we remain together in heaven? If someone becomes a widow and then remarries, which one will be with them or close to him in heaven? All right, so interesting question here, and this is one that I don't have to give you a maybe on. This is one that I can say with absolute confidence, without any opinion, uh, without having to speak from my own expectations. This is what the Bible says. Jesus got this actual question, uh, or a very similar version of it, in Matthew chapter 22. Let's just see what happens here. It says, that same day, the Sadducees, what is a Sadducee? A Sadducee was a religious sect in Israel. There were two primary sects. There was the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And the biggest difference between the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they both believed in God. They both worshiped Yahweh. They both hated Jesus. Uh, but the biggest difference before them was the Pharisees believe in what they called the resurrection. They believed in eternity. Uh, and the Sadducees believed when you died, that was it. So they were very sad, you see. That's why they were the Sadducees. Bible college joke. Uh, So that day, the Sadducees, who say there's no resurrection, they came to Jesus with a question. Teacher, they said. You can just sense the the sarcasm dripping in this as they speak to him honorably. Uh, Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for him. So the the Mosaic law uh, was that, that, hey, if my brother's wife 
passed away, then I would need to marry her and raise their kids. Uh, Verse 25, now there were seven brothers among us. They bring was probably a hypothetical, probably didn't actually happen, but we don't know. The first one married and died, and since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. The same thing happened to the second and third brother, right on down to the seventh. Finally, the woman died. Weird way to say that. Uh, Now then, at the resurrection, Whose wife will she be of the seven since all of them were married to her? I've got good news for her. She doesn't have to be with these brothers anymore. Uh, After you've gone through seven brothers, uh, you have paid your dues. Uh, So here's how Jesus replied, verse 29. He says, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, in other words, in eternity, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage, they will be like the angels in heaven. Now, please, please, please notice this. He says they will be like the angels in heaven. He doesn't say they will be angels in heaven. This verse has been misconstrued and misapplied by a lot of people, uh, and you get the idea that, man, when you pass away, you're floating around on a harp in a diaper uh, with some wings, uh, that you become this little angel. In fact, sometimes we say horrible things to people who have just like it's a loved one, like, God just needed another angel in heaven. Please don't ever say that. And, and if you do, please don't say you're from City Church. Because uh, that's not, number one, it's not real. Number two, it's not, com- my loved one died because God needed an angel. God killed my brother, my cousin, my mom, so that he could get an angel. God doesn't need any more angels. If he needed more angels, he'd just make them. Uh, he could just speak them out, and they're there. He, he's not taking out your family members so that he can have another angel. God just needed another flower in his garden. What? Like, why would you say that? Horrible, horrible. Doesn't say that you will be an angel in heaven. Says you will be like the angels in heaven. Why like? Because in the context of this, he's saying angels don't get married and they don't give in marriage. Um, They they don't participate in marriage. In fact, we'll get to it later in the series, but there's some questions that came in about some angels who uh, actually did came down, and they mated with women, with the daughters of men, and there's a very strict, harsh judgment on them because they violated God's law. Angels are not supposed to participate in this. Uh, And so he says, when you're in heaven, you will not be married, nor will you participate in marriage. Verse 31, but about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. I love that. We serve the God of the living. We serve the God, not of the dead, but the God of the living. So he speaks directly at the end of this to the Sadducees, and he's like, you missed it when it comes to resurrection. There is a resurrection. We're just not getting married or being married in eternity. Let's go back and put the question back on the screen for us, would you? Question number two. The the question is, if it's not good for man to be alone, then how is it or are we going to be married in heaven? If we know that, man, we're supposed to be married here, or many of us are married here, um, do we remain together in heaven? Well, here's where I don't know the difference. Because in the Garden of Eden, before sin comes, before destruction, before the fall, God does say it's not good for man to be alone. I've got to create a helper suitable for him, and so he creates Eve, and he creates marriage. Um, We know that ultimately the... New heaven, the new earth, is going to be the restoration of God's original design. Uh, And so somehow there is going to be some differences between the original and the new. There's going to be some upgrades. One of the upgrades is we're not going to 
get married. And for some of us, that may not seem like an upgrade because our spouse is such a huge, massive component of our life. I, I believe you will absolutely know who you were married to. You will have that, that bond and connection and those memories. Um, but in heaven, ultimately, it's about our relationship with Jesus, not about our relationship for, with others. Uh, And so he gives us others here on earth to help point us to him, to help teach us about him, to help bring us to an understanding of him, Uh, but he does not, (coughs) excuse me, does not give us that person here for eternity. Now, my dad grew up Mormon, and let me speak to this really, really quickly. Um, The Mormons actually teach that in order for a woman to go to heaven, she has to be married to a man who's going to heaven, which is where you get polygamy from. Uh, Because, man, you want to make sure that you're married to the right guy. If the only way you can make it into heaven, and so it was all deceptive and manipulative in order for men to control more women, um, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible doesn't teach that your spouse is going to determine whether you go to heaven or not. In fact, the Bible teaches that there are Christians who are married to unbelievers and tells us what to do if we're married to an unbeliever. You're not going to be the one that determines their salvation. Their relationship with Jesus is going to determine their salvation. Uh, And so, and you're not going to be married to them on the other side of eternity as well. So question number three, moving forward. If God created heaven on day one, when was hell created? Now, this is a question that I debated which message to put it in, because we're going to do a message on creation and answer questions on creation, and this would fit there, but it also fits with the eternity, with the questions of heaven and hell, and so ultimately I decided to place it right here. If God created heaven on day one, when did God create hell? Well, uh, I think that this question is actually built on an incorrect assumption. So let's see why it's incorrect. Let's go to the very beginning, Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, everybody say in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Goes on in verse 2 to say this, Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. We've been singing this song, Rest on Us, right? And it starts out, it says, As the Spirit was moving over the waters, Spirit come move over us. Right? In the same way that the Spirit was present in creation, that that he was moving and, and active in creation, we're inviting him to be moving and active in our midst, in our lives. Uh, and so the Holy Spirit was, was there and was a part of all this. Um, but it tells us in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It actually doesn't say anything about day one there. This is before day one. We're going to get to day one uh, a, a little bit later in the story, and he's going to tell us different things he created on different days. Um, I actually believe that this statement is not really a chronological statement. It's a summary statement of everything that's going to come. It's a thesis statement, if you remember English class. Uh, this, is, this is what's about to happen in the creation story. Here's the story of the heavens and the earth being created. Uh, now, what you need to know is that when the Bible talks about the heavens, most of the time it's not talking about the place where God eternally dwells. Most of the time when it says the heavens, it's actually talking about sky, outer space, planets, stars, etc. Let me illustrate for you. Psalm 19 says this. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. Look at this in verse 3. The heavens and the skies have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Is heaven silent? Not a trick question. Is heaven silent? No, heaven is not silent. 
Outer space doesn't have sound, because you can't have sound in space. Has to have something to bounce off of. Uh, has to have gravity for you to be able to, to perceive sound. Uh, so this passage, as well as the vast majority of others that talk about the heavens, they're not talking about where God is. They just talk about, that says heavens specifically, not the heavens. So when it says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, it's actually not talking about God creating heaven where he dwells. It's talking about outer space, the universe, the galaxies, etc. Um, so when did God create heaven? We don't know. Sometime before the seven days of creation, heaven existed. When did God create hell? We don't know. Sometime before the seven days of creation, God created hell. We know that heaven was there before creation because the enemy was there. Satan was there. We talked uh, a couple weeks ago about how he was called Lucifer in the King James, and that's probably not actually his name, but most of us know him by that, so we can use it. It's not a big deal. Um, this angel was there who tried to overthrow God, who tried to rebel against God's kingdom, and God bound, cast him out. God won, because God always wins, uh, and he was, he was cast out, and then he pops up in the creation story on chapter 3, comes in, in the serpent, and he tempts Adam and Eve. So he had already been cast out. This had already happened, and then God created hell as a punishment place, a place of eternal damnation for Satan, a place that he would eternally dwell. So heaven was created first. Hell was created next. Then the earth and, and all of the seven days of creation came sometime after that. We have no idea what the timeline looks like in between there. We could be talking anything, right? Eternity is a long time, uh, and God is an eternal being, so I'm not even going to try to speculate. Um, I will say this, just since it's sort of on topic, and I think it's interesting. One theory that I've heard that I like is that Satan was actually sent to earth. Satan and his minions were sent to earth temporarily as their penal colony, as their place of punishment. Uh, it says that the spirit hovered over the waters. There, there was no place to land until God actually spoke to earth and started creating land. So that earth actually existed, uh, and it was just covered in water. And so there was no rest, that, that the punishment for Satan and his minions for a season was there was nowhere for them to rest. They just had to constantly be in motion all the time. Uh, and then God comes in, and he makes creation in this place that the enemy has been cast to, and he places us created in his image right there as a reminder to Satan that he's in control and Satan's not. I don't know if that's true, but I think it's kind of cool. Uh, I like that theory, uh, but regardless, we don't know exactly when heaven and hell were made. We know they were made before Genesis chapter one, before the events uh, that we find in the creation. All right, question four. Where do we get scripture to support the belief that hell is not the literally, literal fiery smoke and flames that we were taught in times past, but is instead the complete absence of God and the eternal life amongst pure evil. Um, I think this question comes from probably a failure on my end to articulate something very well. Uh, this may be a perception that came from something that I've said that isn't what I meant, but I can see where the perception would have come from. Um, let me say this, that hell is a place of literal fiery smoke and flames like you were taught in times past. Um, when I talk about hell, I primarily talk about it as a place of eternal separation from God because I think that's the worst part of it. Are the smoke and flames bad? Yes. Is there weeping and gnashing of teeth? Yes. 
but I don't think it's so much the torment of the smoke and the flames as it is the complete lack of any presence of God, of any blessing of God, uh, of any good thing from God. I think that's the worst part of hell. That's not the only part of hell. Uh, the Bible is very clear that these things are there. Let me give you one example. Matthew chapter 27, Jesus talking, uh, and it says that, or not Jesus talking, sorry, this is at the crucifixion. It says this, it says, from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As Jesus was about to die, he was going to descend into hell. He was taking on the weight of the sin of the world, and the father had to look away. The father had to break fellowship with the son because God cannot be in the presence of sin. The father cannot. And so as this happens, Jesus, the son, feels the pain of the nails, feels the pain of the thorns, feels the pain of the whips, all this physical pain, but the worst thing Jesus experienced was not the physical pain and the torture and the excruciating nature of the cross. The worst thing Jesus felt was this break, this separation from the presence of the Father. And as he senses the Father break fellowship with him, he cries out in agony, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knew it was coming. He knew what had to happen, and yet as he began to experience it in the humanity, because he was fully human and fully God, in his humanity, he couldn't stand it. He cries out in this deep anguish, why can't I be with you? Why have I lost your presence in my life? And so this is why I teach that hell is a place of eternal separation from God, that that's the worst aspect of it. I don't mean to ever teach that it's the only aspect of it because it's not. The Bible is very clear. I said when the Bible speaks clearly, we'll speak clearly. Let me give you an example. Um, let, let's go to this next passage, actually, just for time's sake. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13, verse 24, it says this. It says, Jesus told them another parable. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everybody was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. So he got what he wanted, but he also got weeds. If you're a gardener, I'm good at the weeds, not so much at the, the wheat. Uh, but he, he got them both. So verse 27 says, The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? Verse 28, An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go? And pull them up. So we just get rid of all of it. And the master replies, verse 29, no, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let them both, both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I'll tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Why does God allow evil people to exist? Because he allows people to exist. Why does God allow Stuff like what we talked about before our message today, sexual assault, child molestation. Because the reality is that along with the wheat that God is trying to grow, godly people who love him, there's going to be weeds. And he says, we're going to sort it all out at the end. 
We're going to give them time. We've seen other passages that why why is God not returning? Why is he not ending things? Because he's patient. He's not slow, but he's patient. And he wants everybody to have a chance to repent. He doesn't want anybody to perish. So he's going to wait as long as he possibly can so that people can get right, so that nobody has to miss out on eternity with him, so that nobody has to experience the agony and the anguish of hell. He says, at that time, I'll tell the harvesters what's up. First, collect the weeds. And tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Verse 36. Then he left the crowd. We'll skip down to 36, sorry. Then we left the crowd and he went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. So they they ask for this to be explained. And in verse 40, it says, as the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out the angels, and they will weed out the kingdom and everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And listen to what it says right here in verse 42. This is what's going to happen to those who don't come to Jesus, to those who don't give their life to him. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will sign like the Son in the kingdom of their Father, whoever has ears, let them hear. I don't ever mean to downplay the reality of weeping and gnashing of teeth. I never mean to downplay the reality of a blazing furnace that was not prepared for people. It was prepared for the enemy. But it's the only place where those who choose, I'm not going to submit to God's will. I'm not going to bend my knee and, and bow before Jesus. The only thing that a just God can do for someone who says, I'm not going to yield to his lordship And God says, I'm bringing my son down to earth to rule and reign, and his lordship will be here completely. It would be unjust for God to force somebody to be there who doesn't want to recognize that Jesus is Lord. And so those people have to go to the only other place that will exist. There's one place that won't exist in the reign and rule of Jesus, and that's the blazing furnace. Um, It's real. It's literal, and I'm sorry if I've ever downplayed that and not addressed that specifically. I I don't ever mean to. I do believe, however, that the worst part about it isn't the flames. It isn't the weeping and gnashing of teeth, or the weeping and gnashing of teeth isn't because of the flames or the smoke. I do believe it's because there's no presence of God. We can sum things up this way. Heaven is where God is, and he fully reigns. Hell is where God is not and where God does not reign. What makes it hell? There's no blessing. There's no favor. There's no presence of God there. It's completely devoid of his presence. Right now, today, we're living in the in-between. We're not in heaven where God fully reigns. In fact, we saw last week that Satan is actually called the prince of this world. We're in this place where God's will is not fully done. Can't illustrate that any better than the events that came to light this past week. That's not God's will. God didn't desire that. It's the brokenness, the sinfulness, the selfishness of the world that we live in. But we don't live in hell because God does have a presence here. And God does move here, and he restores here, and he loves here, and he blesses here. He is doing things here. So we're in this in-between place where there's influence from both. We see reflections of heaven and reflections of hell. And God set before us a choice. Do you want the lordship of Jesus? 
or do you not? I won't force you to choose him as Lord. I won't make you recognize him for who he is. But if you will confess him as Lord, if you will bow before him and recognize him for who he is, then you get to live with him for eternity. You get to experience the greatness that he has for you, the fullness of his presence and his joy and his peace and his love where he wipes away every tear and and there's no sickness and no disease and no heartbreak and no molestation and no brokenness. A day is coming where we will receive that if we choose Jesus as Lord, but if we don't, God forbid, if we don't, There is a literal place called hell. And those who reject the Son of God will spend eternity there in torment and anguish and regret. And that's not a popular message. It's not a message I even enjoy preaching. I'm not a hellfire and brimstone preacher. I believe that God has for you and not against you. But I do believe that hell is real. And I think the Bible is very clear that it exists and there are people who will spend eternity there. The good news is this, Jesus came so you don't have to. Jesus came so I don't have to pay the price for my sin. You see, the reality is hell is what I deserve. Hell is what I have earned. Hell is what my works have have rightfully created as my destiny. But God didn't want me to go to hell. And so he sent his son Jesus to step into the gap, to step into the void and pay the price for me that I would not have to pay it. And that's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he didn't just do that for me. He did it for you. And so ultimately, each of us have to choose. This is a binary decision. Heaven or hell. Life or death. Blessing or curses. Choose life. Choose Jesus. Choose him as Lord. It is so much greater than if you did not. Would you pray with me?